Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Pilot Riot podcast. I'm Madeline Palman. And I'm Peter Humbarger. And yes, like I said, welcome to our third episode. I'm, we've made it so far I'm, I, I'm shocked that we've made it this far, to be frank. Shocked yeah, but thrilled. I thought maybe one episode, but, <laughs> but you we're know, now it, at number three. But it's stuck. <laughs> yeah. It's stuck, and Jane, the producer, has stuck around graciously. We just keep on getting so many requests. Please, more and more episodes. <laughs> Mostly from our, you know what, I would say it's actually outside of my immediate family. It's actually my aunts and my uncles who also (laughs) give input. So, so yeah, our viewers are far and wide reaching and we get a lot of requests, a lot of requests, mostly notes from my mom that she wrote on her steno pad while she was listening, but we appreciate that. But I have been listening to a (laughs) podcast that I've really been loving that I want to plug really quick. It's called, Oh, Mm. It's either called Where's No, it's called Missing Richard Simmons. And it's done by a documentarian who was Richard Simmons' great friend. Richard Simmons was like, you know, a uh, like this 80s fitness guru. He was a very accessible celebrity. Uh, had a lot of friends and then kind of like fell off the face of the earth and people think he's being like held hostage by his maid and like Oh, no one is in contact with Richard Simmons? No, I think like, you know, his deep inner circle, like his, like, the, so he's had this maid for 30 years who he takes care of and makes pre- and cooks breakfast for, and that he bought a Mercedes for, and like a weird kind of mar- almost marriage type thing. And everyone kind of, a popular theory is that she's like kind of holding him hostage and like wants his money. Um, there are a lot of other theories that like he's sick. People don't want that. Then people don't, you know, he doesn't want people to know. Um, we're also joined by Frankie the dog tonight. You heard him shake in the background just now. He's a good boy though. Yeah. We'll edit that anyway. out. <laughs> not, Jane, the producer, said not that many more edit points this this episode, but we'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, so anyway, so it's a great podcast. It um, is intriguing. It's uh, like it's done by a professional documentarian. So like, of course, it's going to be good. But I have zero interest in Richard Simmons, and I thought it was great. I'm way into it. So pop nice. culture plug of the week. Um, I guess I have like a, an interesting story. So I was. I ended up at this, um, this like this party this weekend downtown and some like really freezing cold warehouse and everyone's just like dancing to this techno DJ. Mm -hmm. And so I I went over there with some friends and we were like, Oh, what are you guys up to? And she said that she was from this company called BioGlitz, which (laughs) purportedly has is that like Bio-de- is that green glitter? <laughs> no, it's biodegradable litter. Or <laughs> litter. Glitter. Well, that's, that's what I meant. Like, like <laughs> yeah, eco-friendly, yeah, not yeah. like the color. Everyone's and there's not that many people there. So she was like, "It's seven dollars, and I'll glitz you." <laughs> so a friend paid. and Mr. Big Shot over here just got a big old job, <laughs> no. so he could afford that seven bucks. So a friend of mine paid ten dollars, and he was like, "You need to glitz Peter, me." So, so I lay down for like 30 minutes and this woman just covers my face with glitter. But 30 in, minutes? For like a long time. She was like, it also comes with a face massage. Like you're going to love it. So it, I didn't love it. It was, it was like really weird looking glitter. What time, what time in the morning was this? This was probably 2.30 in the morning. Who wants a face, a half hour face massage at 2.30 in well, the morning? Well, a lot of the people there were like. On ecstasy? Probably rolling, yeah. Do you like how I just said ecstasy? ecstasy. Like, like like a 40-year-old mom? <laughs> On X. Ecstasy tablets? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On X. So I ended up getting... Were you rolling on the mollies? <laughs> so I ended up getting like a face full of glitter. And she was... And at one point she was like, I'm going to give you like a Harry Potter theme. <laughs> and I was like... What? I was like, no. Like, <laughs> like please don't. So I was like, 
friend, you need to take a picture of me because I, I need to see like what I look like. And I ended up really liking the picture and posting it on Instagram with a caption, please don't support local glitter businesses like ha- at BioGlitz. <laughs> and like, okay. Okay. All right. And it was like, you know, didn't think that it would get that much backlash. And then a friend commented <laughs> at BioGlitz. What, really, what a way to lead into it. I didn't think it would get much backlash. And then but. a friend who also got glitzed wrote, commented at BioGlitz ruined my night slash life. So that's deep. 24 hours later, I get this message on Instagram and I'll, I'll read you the message. Oh my God. No, (laughs) my face is getting red. I know it hurts, right? So she said, that's really mean what you said about bio glitz. Would you mind moderating it? I'm the one who glitzed you. (laughs) Saba, the company owner is amazing and she would have done a much better job. I'm so sorry you weren't happy. And then she did all of the different colored hearts. Oh, I'm sad now. That's a little desperate. Yeah, it was like a little desperate. She, this, this I just, I disagree. <laughs> like, I want a small business to, to succeed. You know? it, like, it looked good on my eyes, mm-hmm. but only because my friend was like, I think you should put glitter on his eyelids. <laughs> art direction. <laughs> yeah, art direction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we watched Taken. Oh, yeah, we just told you. We First, we're going to talk about When We Rise. Mm-hmm. So, When We Rise is a miniseries written and produced by Dustin Lance Black, mm-hmm. who won an Oscar for screenwriting um, Milk. I don't know what year that was. And 2000. he's dating Tom Oh, yeah. And he's, fu- he's, uh, oh. he's on Fianced oh, with Tom so Daly. They're so fucking beautiful together. Oh, yeah. that's, a, that's a nice matchup. It's a big May-December. But Beauty and brains, although yeah. Justin Lance Black is like not ugly or anything. But brains and brawn. <laughs> that's better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very Either interesting. May-December. What? What is a May December? A May December relationship is yeah, like is well, someone's old, someone's young. Right. Like um I just really quick like want to tell a quick I was something I was involved in. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny? That? I quick want to tell a story about Jane the producer. Jane, not knowing about a May December romance reminds me of when I was in the sixth grade and it was like the first six months I knew Matt. And once at lunch, Matt like sat down and said, like, uh, it's been a I've had a weird day or something. And I said, join the club. And Matt says, What club? <laughs> and he had never heard the phrase, and I thought that was so funny. Really? Yeah. You know, there's just so much genius going on in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> there's not enough. You don't room. have time they for don't new. Have time. There's yeah, not enough room for colloquialisms. Yeah. That's just in, the, <laughs> there's just no time. It's just wasted space. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> when we rise <laughs> is a mini series on uh, ABC. ABC. So the first the the pilot. It wasn't really a pilot. The premiere aired on Monday night. It's There's not a pilot. I guess it's a pilot, but it's like, but it's like a one week show. Regardless. Okay, it's a, it was a pilot. So it was like parts one and two premiered on Monday night, and then the rest of the parts are airing throughout this week, and yes. it concludes on Friday. So can I quickly explain why it's actually significant that it is a pilot? Yeah, sure. In the TV writing selling world, the TV production world, the pilot is the first thing that you pitch that you sell. It's when a writer has an idea of like, oh, this would be a good series or a mini series or whatever. They write the pilot. That's all they write. And so it's the framework for the entire show. So actually 
the pilot is in many ways the most important part of the show because it sets everything up. It introduces the world, the problem, the characters. It's the foundation for everything. Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly throw that in there. So actually, like to a layperson, I don't mean to describe Peter that way, but you know, <laughs> technically speaking, I did go to school for all of this. Um, <laughs> Peter, Peter wants to kill himself hearing me say that. That's fine. I, I want to kill myself hearing myself say that too, but it's true. And um, so yeah, so the fact that it is a pilot is actually significant because it, like I just for all the reasons I just said. Um, but continue. Um, okay, so there are three storylines. One of them is set during the Vietnam. Are they all set during? No. no. They're set during the... The first one's the Vietnam War, because the... Who's the black actor? It, it, it takes place in 1969, because they talk about okay, how so the Stonewall yeah, yeah. riots were a recent event. Oh, that's right. But for him, when was the Women's March? Whatever. Oh, God. Okay, so there's... There's three storylines. There's one guy who was transferred from Vietnam to San Francisco. He's in the Navy. In the Navy, yeah. And then he like finds himself as a gay guy, kind of. He had like a tortured gay relationship with one of the twins, uh, one of Lynette's twins on Desperate Housewives. The the black guy from the Navy. um, He's struggling with religion after the death uh, of his lover, who was also, you know, in the Navy and died in combat. And he's looking for God after being transferred to San Francisco to Treasure Island. Yeah. And then the second storyline is this lesbian who, um, she, she originally lives in Africa where it's like women relationships are not really like sexual, but just very friendly. And they like, women are very, yeah. Women are very affectionate and she feels like she and her girlfriend flew under the radar there. Um, but then she moves to San Francisco and tries to organize a march for the National Organization for Women of California. Yes. She's into the feminist movement and she's really struggling with the fact that she's a lesbian. Yeah. And in this group that she joins, you will see Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. and Rosie O'Donnell. Woohoo! Rosie O'Donnell looks like um, like an old guy from the South who has like long hair that's like pushed back. It's a little bit of a mullet style. Like they gave her a mullet hairdo without like giving her the cut. Yeah. Um, I actually thought they were great. (laughs) They were great in it. Yeah. I actually thought they were great additions. Um, and they, you know what? They're famous and whatever. They're decent actors. So I I was happy to see them there. Yeah. Yeah. They were good. So, and then the third storyline is a young gay boy who just turned 18. He's from Phoenix, Arizona. His dad is played by David Hyde Pierce. Who's a psychologist. And you, the, a couple of his introducing, uh, his introductory scenes are him looking at his dad's psychology books about how to reverse the illness of homosexuality and like electroshock therapy and um, stuff like that. He comes out to his dad. His dad is like, we're going to fix you. We're going to put you through, you know, the program, whatever. This is an illness. He's like, fuck you, dad. I'm going to San Francisco. I'm going to be a bike messenger. I'm going to deliver blueprints. I'm going to live on someone's floor. I'm going to like make it. I'm going to fake it till I make it. And like, fuck you. I liked this pilot. I thought it was, I thought like I, I stopped watching where it and like where it was going to be getting really good mm-hmm. when, um, what's the actor's name? I don't know his name in the show or his actors or like, his real which name. actor, the black guy. Oh, that is him. Jonathan majors. Yeah. Um, so I, he played, sorry. Uh, Ken Jones, Ken Jones. I had a neighbor named Ken Jones once. So did I. My next door neighbor was named Ken Jones. Really? Same kind of. Were you guys? I'm not even kidding. I was best friends with his daughter, Megan. I'm not even kidding. Heather and Ken Jones. That is insane, actually. Wait. Heather 
That was her first name. <laughs> wait, wait, did we have the same neighbors? No, they lived in Marsh Landon. No, the um. Wait, no, it, that's not. It was the same a one. different Heather and Ken Jones, <laughs> or it might have been Lisa, and they had a daughter named Heather. Anyways, um, Ken Jones. I thought his story was good with him being in the Navy and then him being also in that relationship with the Desperate Housewives twin. Um, right. But then he die, He dies, and it's like really sad. I actually cried during that part. Did you really? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I cry a lot in TV and movies. Same. I actually do too, but that didn't make me cry. But well, you're not, you you're not a gay man, Maddie. That's true. I look at it from a different lens. <laughs> so what did you think of the show? I, you know, I accept the importance of When We Rise. These issues are always important to talk about. They're always a worthy subject in entertainment, art, TV, film, everything. But in terms of story, in terms of originality and freshness, in terms of plot points, I found it all to be very predictable and ground that we've already trod. I, yeah, I was I mean, bored. I'm, I mean, there have been like so many movies that are just the exact same theme. And you know what's so funny is I did something... Normally, when we before we watch a show or before I watch a show, I'll look up who it's created by, who directed it, you know, who wrote the first... Who wrote the pilot, usually the person who created it. But regardless, that whole thing. And I actually didn't do that with When We Rise. I was only peripherally aware of When We Rise when we decided to uh, do it for this podcast. I... Watched it quickly, or not quickly, but I watched it, and then I looked it up. And while I was watching it, I was thinking, "This is just Milk the mini series. Like, didn't we, like, didn't we kind of already do this?" And then, I mean, I just like cackled when I realized it was Dustin. La- Dust- I cackled when I realized it was Dustin Lance Black. Of course, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, of course. It's like he only knows how to write gay activist movies or like <laughs> pieces. Yeah, unfortunately, I just found it to be. Um, Boring, and you know what? the The reviews kind of agreed with our point of view. Um, this one, interesting, actually, interestingly, Slate. Uh, the headline of their review is ABC's gay rights miniseries "When We Rise" is too conservative, which I would agree with. But it was on ABC. I mean, that's true. Do you mean conservative in like its political aspect, or conservative like they didn't show enough like smut? No, no, no. I think they very much meant uh, that it's too conservative in the sense of like, it just showed issues the way way that we've already seen them. It presented everything in a very conventional way, in a way that I almost feel like, I feel like this would have been groundbreaking if it came out in like 2003, like not even 2009, like 2003. And so it just felt like old ground. It, It did feel conservative. I mean, they could have had something about the uh, the lives of like transgender people. They could have had, they could have been more radical. And I agree that it's ABC, but at the same time, if you're going to do a mini series like this, that's the role of the network to decide how radical are we going to go? Is it worth doing if we're, if we're going to be too conservative? Do you think that they wanted it to be aired all in one week? Because that's just, that seems yes. like... Yes, I mean, they, they do what they... I mean, no, not ABC, but like the creators. Oh, ooh, I mean, that's a totally different thing. I mean... Like, did they, they was obviously written did it as like a long movie that's cut into pieces or? No, I'm sure this was written as a miniseries that was meant to be released. I'm sure this was written as a miniseries that was meant to be released on a weekly basis, or that's probably what the creators intended. But I mean, obviously the network made a decision that this was going to be the best way to do it. And it was probably um, more of a publicity thing. They probably thought that they could push it really hard publicity wise before it comes out, uh, release it as kind of a, big event obviously it's unusual to release um a series 
over over a week, yeah. you know, a whole series over yeah, a week, even, even if it's a mini series. So I think that they were kind of trying to push it more as an event than uh, something that they were going to rely on week to week to bring in viewers. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably what happened it's is... it's like kind of a small group of people that are actually going to watch the show. I mean, these kinds of things, there's no... In the industry, there's no set way of anything happening. But what I imagine happened is that they picked it up, they produced it. Uh, it seems like they probably put a good amount of money into it. It wasn't super high production value, but it was definitely quality. So I imagine they picked it up, produced it, whatever... Once they ran focus groups, once they, uh, once it was done and in the can and they were playing with it, they decided, you know, their marketing department or however that works, whichever department decided this was the best way to release it. So that's what they did. I bet it was not what the creators intended, but you know what? You don't get to decide everything when you're a creator. The network, That's a the network, good lesson to learn. The, the networks have the money, and <laughs> the network. I mean, ultimately, it's a, every production, whether it's a movie or a TV show, is a beautiful dance between the creators and the producers, the artists and the money people, and you know, a lot of times it's an adversarial relationship. But like I said, it's really like a beautiful dance because you need both, and they're both very important. And a lot of people don't know about producers or ever think of them because they're not the artistic part of it. You don't really see their work on, on screen as much, but they're really the parents of these projects. Yeah. Way more so than even the writers or the directors or the actors or anything. So, anyway. <laughs> so, I I guess I'll, I don't know if I'll finish it. I'm not going to finish it. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it 2.5 out of five stars. It was average. I mean, I, I just feel like it's important, you know, it is important because not everyone's at the level of activism that some of us are. This series could be a great educational tool. Yeah. If you are 17 and live in Kansas and your parents are kind of okay with it, but don't really know how to deal. Yeah. It'll be really inspirational for you. Yeah. Um, so how many stars do you give it? I gave it, uh, three stars. Okay. Yeah. Are we rolling, Jane? Yeah. Are you ready, Peter? Yeah. Let me just take a sip of my wine first. Please do. Tonight's wine is brought to you by (laughs) Beringer. A nice Chardonnay from 2015, I think. The uh, most mid... Pr- midly priced wine. No, in the, in it was the, the lowest. Price okay, wine. all right. So the cheapest wine in the in the wine in the wine the, industry. It was the cheapest wine in the wine section of pavilions on Melrose. Not bad though. Not gonna lie. No. Yeah, it's not bad. I feel like you can't really uh, mess up a Chardonnay. They kind of all just taste the same. Yeah. I'm perfectly happy as long yeah. as it's dry. A really good Chardonnay is like. Mm. Yeah, a really good Chardonnay is really good, but, but like, it's who like, cares? You have a lot to go through before you yeah. get that next level. This week we watched <laughs> we watched Stranded with a Million Dollars on MTV. What you time can, does it air? It you can catch it Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on MTV. So the concept of Stranded with a Million Dollars is as such: there are 10 people, basically between the ages of 19, 19 and 25, who are thrown onto this island. It's Tuvuni Island in the South Pacific. I looked it up. It's really close to Fiji. And so they throw these 10 basically babies. <laughs> uh, speaking as a 25 year old. Like, also 10 idiots. 10. They, so MTV takes 10 idiot babies. They throw them on this island and with the clothes on their backs, nothing else and say, we're giving you standard a million dollars. I almost said $10 million. No, no, no. A million dollars. <laughs> there are 10 campsites that you have to make it. You're going to be here for 40 days. There are 10 campsites, you know, every four days you have to migrate to collect your next hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And 
you know, there's a million dollars total. And again, you have no supplies, but you can buy supplies for insanely exorbitant prices. Yeah, really, really high prices. Like a gallon of water is $3,000. A box of matches is $30,000. Yeah. So, So of course... Every piece of supply that you, every piece of supplies that you buy takes away from your grand total. And you have to like really want the supplies. Yeah. And whatever's left over is split amongst the people who are left and they win that as the prize. Now, when I say people who are left, this is what I mean. There are 10 people that start out and they each, the thing, you know, part of the kit that they're given when they arrive on this island is a flare gun kit. Each flare, you know, there's 10 flares with the names of the contestants on them. If you want to self-evacuate from the island. That's the term they use, self-evacuate. You fire your flare, you can leave. And go stay in a hotel in Fiji until the reunion that they're going to shoot three days after the show ends. <laughs> Which it's I would 40 be so days. It's 40 days. down for. It's 40 days. Yeah, it's, yeah, so that's a while. Yeah, it is a while. And um, so, yeah, so basically the idea is to spend the least amount of money possible on survival necessities. and So that there's a bigger payout in the end. Exactly. Um when they, when they got their first piece of what I call Tyra mail, whenever people on a competition reality show <laughs> yeah, it felt like get a piece mail. of mail from the producers, I call it Tyra mail. And they're like, ooh, mail. Yeah, exactly. It comes on a tablet, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing they say is... One of the really, first things they really say is 2017 like, of them. Very 2017. So the first thing they say is, you know, what kind of hits the whole series home is, what price are you willing to pay to survive? Yeah, they're like, a question that not many of you have ever had to answer. What is the price you would pay to survive? Exactly. <laughs> and I want to... Like, do- I don't know. But then, I, <laughs> but then as, as a viewer, I was like, what price would I pay? What price would what yeah, I pay? I was like, that is a question I've never had to answer. Like, I am a creature of comfort and convenience. <laughs> so we're in the tropical cyclone season on this island. It gets 396 inches of rainfall per year. That's in, I mean, that's, I was like or, or, shocked by that. I was like, that's a lot of either, rain. either per year or during the raining season. I don't remember. And like the average yeah. temperatures are 92 degrees. So I with put, a heat index of one Oh six. Yes. So I put a note. I mean, as we talked about in our last, our last podcast, Peter and I grew up in Florida where it's very humid most of the year. It's a similar climate, but not nearly as severe as the climate on this Island. And I can honestly say that you would have to pay me about $10 million <laughs> to even consider spending 40 days on this <laughs> God forsaken corner of the earth. Yeah. It was, I, I really, I love that they put them in like the worst conditions possible. Honestly. Thank you. MTV for understanding that I need to see these people in true desperation, but also thank you MTV for being like, we're really contemporary. We're only going to shoot these using drones. That was cool. So the episode, the, the episode is called game of drones. Yeah. Game of drones. So, they have all of these drones and uh, there weren't helicopters, but just drones. They were and like um, stationary cameras attached to trees, where they just filmed everything that the uh, what were they called competitors did. <laughs> and then they had these like, you know, you could go off about a thousand feet into the woods and like record yourself saying something like, "I think she's not going to make it." Mm-hmm. But I I liked it, but it was like. The the people were just so dumb. Wait, I can't imagine though what it's like to be on that show where drones only are filming you. That's incredible. It's it's cool when they have. I mean, it's obviously yeah. set up by producers, but when they have like two people walking on the beach, they'll show them walking on the beach having their conversation. Then they'll do like kind of a background shot where you watch the drone filming them from the perspective that you just watched them talking from. Uh, I appreciate that MTV kind of gave us. 
you know, right away they shoved the villain in our faces. They were very clear on what the labels were of all these people. So the villain of the series is Cody. Yeah, he's Cody's t- a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows it too. Yeah. He's 22. He's a member of the Texas National Guard. And I just want to give a quick, just like real quick. So we're introducing all of our characters. They're meeting each other on the beach. They get their first piece of Tyra mail by drone. And Cody rushes out to get it. It's across the beach. And so this is when we meet Cody via confessional. And he says, you know, he introduces himself. And then he (laughs) says, and I quote, this is word for word. I'm going to do an impression as well. Back home, when I go to a party, I introduce myself to the most attractive female. Out here, when a helicopter drops off a package, I'm going to be the first one to pick it up. (laughs) <laughs> he was he was insufferable <laughs> from the very beginning. I mean, from he, the first second the he first was on screen. Second on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing also I'd like I mean, to know. I mean, poetry. Yeah. Those words. He, poetry. He has like a kind of a like an unattractive face. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. But like a nice body. It's like <laughs> <laughs> so. Like there's like already his, a dichotomy. His face is like really round, but his body is actually really on point. But Cody is a piece he, of he shit. He is part of the National Guard. And then he becomes friends he with... He says... Oh, I just really... Sorry, I just really okay, want yeah, to interject. Yeah, sure. In that same introduction, he says that he considers himself an alpha male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he definitely portrays himself as an alpha male throughout the entire pilot. <laughs> but he befriends this guy named Chris. That's his he name, He sure right? do. Who... I think he had a sunburn before he went on to the island. <laughs> it's funny, Mitch, because <laughs> they made a note later about how everyone has sunburns by day three. Yeah. <laughs> like, real bad sunburns. <laughs> So he and Chris he had a sunburn before he even <laughs> went. He came to the island. With he came a to the sunburn. We'll, we'll get to what how unprepared every single person on the island was, but I appreciate that uh, Cody and Chris formed this alliance because they're both these just like white douchebags who are like 22 years old and they're like fuck everyone and they want everyone to leave so that they can get the million dollars but Cody although he's befriending Chris actually doesn't want Chris to like oh no he thinks he's gonna be number one at the end yeah although if he was being smart and actually played with like the rules from real world road rules he should try to eliminate the strongest one first and that means you have weaker ones to eliminate later they're all really young my favorite was um Bria so Bria is the one black girl on the island and they always have like beautiful. She, I mean, she's gorgeous, but they they always have like their name and then right under. I mean, it's like on most a byline. Mo- yeah, a byline. It said aspiring model. So- yeah, like on the Bachelor, they always have. They're known for having the craziest ones. Like, um, oh my god, I, I wish I could think of a good example. Like, mis- like like aspiring mas- like aspiring massage therapist. <laughs> like <laughs> the best little bylines. So Bria. She she's this, she's like an inspiring model. Yeah. She's black, and the you're, first and, thing she says is, "I may look like a black Barbie doll," and I zoned out for the rest. Yeah, she. This goes. This kind of uh, goes hand in hand with people not knowing that they were going to an island. She, <laughs> in her first like confessional or um, talking head, she's like, she has these beautiful, piercing, really like really light blue green eyes, and you're like, wow, like she has crazy eyes especially like for being african-american like tracy jordan once said on 30 rock it was super rare like a black stripper with blue eyes yeah so you're like wow she i can't believe how beautiful her eyes are and then later in the episode it's like day three that they're on the island you see her like taking out the contacts and you just you're like 
Okay, like that that's fine. Like you don't have that color of eyes. But also, why did you go to the island wearing colored contacts? <laughs> like, did you not know that you were gonna be on an island? Here's the thing, she knew that she was going to be on national motherfucking television. Yeah, and she was just trying to like build her portfolio for being an aspiring model. Had, like that's what, what even is there. an aspiring model? Like, like you can be like an aspiring actor, like you haven't gotten any gigs, but it's like an aspiring model is like it's the same thing. Yeah, but it's like Come on. It's a little weaker than an aspiring actor. I can give you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I liked Bria. I liked her little byline. Another person that I really liked was Gina. We first met her uh, when uh, one of the guys was introducing himself to her. He said, I'm whoever. And she said, and I quote again, this is a direct quote. I'm Gina like vagina. Now there's so much to yeah. un- there's so much to unpack here, because if her name was Gina, then it would make perfect sense to say my name is Gina like vagina, but the fact that her name is Gina, and yeah, she and, like- and, and she said Gina like vagina when it is in fact not, not like that like in, in any capacity. Gina's not like an uncommon name. Yeah, like, all know, like, yeah, we're like, like it's not like it's not like my name is Damaris like in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. My name is Gina. Yeah, so like vagina. Just in case we were unclear on my name situation. It's like not hard to understand. So at one point in the episode, Bria, the black girl with the colored contacts, she was like the first one to try out coconut milk or coconut water. Yeah, and, and she and she uh, she finds a a bad coconut, like a rotten coconut. Well, she ate a bad coconut and then she had some health problems. So they get more tyramail and they are offered, you know, you can buy all these things for these crazy prices. So they're trying to decide whether or not they want to buy a hatchet for $8,000 to help build shelter and crack coconuts. They decide not to buy it. Um, So then they go to their first night it rains. Gina is having a really hard time. She's trying not to lose it. She even Gina says that. Gina is the oldest one. So Gina is 25. She's 25. <laughs> she's 25. Can we quickly mention? And she's like, when she introduces herself, she's like, I have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> no, no, no. This was, this was the best part of introducing herself. She's like, I'm Gina. I'm 25. I'm a cocktail server. And literally as she says this, her byline comes up as cocktail waitress. <laughs> Just to put her in her place. Yeah. There's no server situation here. And you're a cocktail waitress. Wait- so she's losing it she's having a really hard time oh i oh i have another line from cody here so he and chris are like having some pillow talk um in their own shelter that they built themselves because they only trust each other and have an alliance with each other and they're talking about gina and how she's losing it cody says to chris again i'm gonna do an impression you've got eight dominoes lined up gina is the first domino great analogy by me <laughs> he's such an asshole oh my god so michael is this he is actually black with he's an eyes. underdog yeah he's an underdog because he's like not that attractive or like fit and he says himself yeah. he's an underdog yeah and he is he's also gay yeah but he's like i'm an eagle scout and you're like no, no, no you're not really like showing it <laughs> <laughs> like, but like he, like as the as the episode went on like Michael is the the realest fucking dude on this show. Yeah, he's the realest dude. But it, I I really liked Michael until I saw that he was wearing like a waist trainer. Do you know what? Yes, that was not a waist <laughs> trainer. That I feel like that had to be a medical well, thing. Sorry. He, ooh, sorry, he's bumping sorry. the table. The mic picks up everything. <laughs> he was wearing some weird like nude colored like. I don't um, think Velcro it was a, fastened a, a thing. medical thing, though. It didn't, but it wasn't a waist trainer. I mean, have you seen Kylie Jenner's posts? Yeah. 
They all, yeah. they all are sponsored by waist trainers. It was definitely something weird, but Michael shows up again and again, like helping people in the show. Like yeah. whenever people need he's help, always there. he's the first person people go to and he's so sweet. Yeah. Like when Brie gets sick because of the rotten coconut, he like carries her on his shoulder on his back. And in the middle like, of the night. Yeah. In the middle of the night. And he's like, if you have to puke, puke to the side. And it's like, yeah. He says, Aw. get on my back. Like I'm going to carry you back. And if you have to puke, <laughs> puke to the side. And I immediately paused and I wrote in my notes, Michael is a true fucking homie and they are all lucky. I also like that Michael, um, Bria was like, I really have to throw up. And Michael was like, okay, just give me your hand. Like, come on my back. Like, and my God. I don't know like, if I would do that with you, Peter. And he was like, I consider you my family. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. We're <laughs> just going to make that statement and let everybody know. <laughs> but he was like, she was like, how far do we have to go for me to puke? And he was like... 10 feet. 10 feet. <laughs> he just makes the decision. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I guess that works. But also 10 feet away from the camp, like, puking is kind of gross. Still gross. But he knew. He just knew. That's the he minimum like, we can do. He was like, I'm an Eagle Scout. I know. He was like, that's the minimum we can do. I know I'm we can't Scout. go far. I'm I wear just going to do a... Trainer. I'm just going to make a boundary of... 10 feet. So yeah, Michael was a sleeper. He was a total success for me. So I think, so the two sleepers for me were Michael and then Makani 21, which was the blonde Zen girl doing the meditation on the beach. Is she the one that had the annoying accent? She is the one that had the annoying accent. She has grown up on organic farms and lived off the <laughs> oh, land yeah. since she was 16. And now she's a, what was her byline? Like organic farmer? A organic farmer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like she, there were no like big people in this show. No, but everyone was kind of like, but I think Bakani's going to win. Cause first of all, this is another role of survivor. They barely showed her in this first episode. So that's another role of survivors that the people that they barely they show, do early show her on. forming an alliance with Cody and Chris. Well, I think that that was more of a situation that the producers told her to go talk to them. I don't think she was really, forming an alliance with them. Do you think the drones have like speakers? Like to talk to them? Yeah. No, I think that the producers are on, on the island. Yeah. And they come talk to them. Cause that's the thing. <laughs> if, if, you, if you watch unreal on lifetime, you know that like the producers have to have like an emotional connection with them to make them do shit. Oh, Which is true. Yeah. Oh God, I would love to be a producer on this show. I would love to like be in my nice clothes and be staying on the resort on this island, which is a huge resort on this island near where they were staying. So that's obviously where all the crew was staying, and like get the crafty on and, the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a huge resort huge. on the island. Yeah. It's called like the Tuvana Island Resort. Yeah. So that's obviously where everyone on MTV is staying. I mean, MTV is like no cheap shit. Like they're like the producers there are not going to go to like the middle of nowhere and live in the woods. Like hell no. Uh, uh, Yeah, of course not. Yeah. So I would love to be a producer on this and like have my sunscreen and like eat my crafty at one from like one to two and just watch these people suffer. (laughs) (laughs) So so at the end of the episode, it's like the third day. They're all tired and hungry because they haven't bought any supplies, but they're like making it through. But Bria is super sick. You know, she had to go on Michael's back in the middle of the night to go throw up somewhere. She ate a bad coconut. She can't do it. She self-evacuates. She puts her flare in the gun and decides, I'm going to leave. Yeah. It was really anticlimactic. I was no. like, are you kidding? Like, they, they hadn't even lasted that long. I, I, but I also don't know how sick she was. Like, I can't really imagine how sick she was. But it was like, you. they were there for like three hours. Or not three hours, three days. <laughs> and like, not that long. Yeah, she basically decided she couldn't make the trek to the next location. They only had like three and a half hours to make it there. And, um, you know, it seemed more like an excuse. Like, she didn't want to be there. Yeah. 
Uh, and I don't really blame her. She needed to get back to her model calls, model casting. She calls. has a lot of aspiring <laughs> acting, uh, aspiring <laughs> modeling business to attend to. Um, so I would give the show 1.5 out of five stars. If you're no, shut the fuck up. It was I mean, if you, if, if you love trash reality TV, then you're going to be into it. But I had a problem with the fact that like there were really no challenges or something yeah. active going on. I really missed the nope. Get rid of that chain. <laughs> there were no active challenges. There were no active challenges. I missed the Jeff Probst presence. It felt very passive. It was people sitting on a beach whining. Yeah, I really, I would have enjoyed it more if there were actually challenges. I Other mean, than just, it was, I mean, it was all group politics, which was like, I mean, that's fine. I know there could, I felt like there could have been challenges where they got discounts on items um, uh, or some yeah. items for free or something, but there was nothing like that and it was boring. Yeah. The challenge was watching people eat hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> so I was bo- or the temptation like crack was boring. Yeah. It was boring. But I 1.5 out of 5, but if you are sick as hell and home from work, maybe give it a shot. And if you love reality competition shows. Okay, so the third and final show that some of us watched was <laughs> what that one half of us watched. <laughs> one half of us watched. Was taken. 50% <laughs> Um, Taken. So, so you can watch Taken Mondays at 10 p.m. on NBC. Um, uh, Peter and I, you know, Peter and I have both had um, an eventful slash traumatic for some of us 48 hours. We had some difficulty finishing the pilots, but you know what? It happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry. still giving you a I complete review. <laughs> it's okay. We're still giving you a complete review, but I watched Taken. So Taken is a prequel to Taken the NBC show is a prequel to the taken movie with Liam Neeson and oh my god I don't know the actress's name it's fine um Shannon on Lost um her oh her (laughs) name is her name is Maggie Grace I just remembered regardless Shannon on Lost you didn't watch Lost I watched Lost but who's Shannon all right Peter's gonna look it up so you may remember taken as the Liam Neeson Maggie Grace movie from 2000 whatever it, you know, it was a good movie. It was fun. It was a really pretty, it was a great, it was a very well put together action movie is how I would describe it. So the Take It NBC series is a prequel to that. So our protagonist is Brian Mills. So we open up on him in a train, on a train with his sister, <laughs> his sister. They're traveling to visit their parents. Um, and Immediately, he notices something weird going on on the train. There's like a terrorist situation. He tells his sister, who he adores. Okay, so there's this very awkward moment of like, I swear to you, sexual tension between the brother and the sister. The brother being Brian, played by Clive Standen, whoever that may be. And the sister, played by Celeste Desjardins, who plays Callie. Although her name might as well be my sister. I swear to God, the amount of times the protagonist said, my sister in this pilot was agonizing. <laughs> and so um, they're on this train and he notices a terrorist situation and he tells the sister to go distract someone about a bag so we can go attack a terrorist. And um, she does and he stops whatever needs to happen and saves the life of an undercover DEA agent, I think. But um, the sister dies in the crossfire. So he's very tortured about this. You know, the first third half of the pilot, I'm really all of it, but the first, you know, uh, so he's dealing with the loss of his sister for a lot of the pilot, uh, you know, slowly, shortly after these first scenes, we have him, you know, at the funeral and his parents are tortured and basically the loss of his sister becomes the motivation for 
him doing everything in this show. It's like I said, he says the phrase, my sister so often it's painful. And so he, uh, you know, we thought that he was fighting against this terrorist in the first scene, but it turns out that he's actually working for the terrorists for money, but then he's recruited by Babette from the L word to work for a, she's the director of an emergency covert team and she's recruiting him to help fight terrorists. And you know, it's interesting because that's really all you need to know about it. I was, I was bullet journal. I can't add anything to this because I didn't watch any of the, the the funny thing is, is like, honestly, I, I was watching this pilot and then I started bullet journaling while I was doing it. And I recommend that you watch this show while you're doing something else, while you're doing something productive. Like perhaps if you're a mom of three, you will quilt during it. Perhaps you'll knit, perhaps you'll um, balance your checkbook. Uh, but if there's crochet. some, exactly, please crochet to take in. It'll work. Um, you know, whatever it is that needs doing, uh, I recommend that you watch Taken while doing that because that's really what it's for. It's kind of, it's very basic. It's very, uh, kind of all served to you on a platter, if that makes sense. It's not too hard to go along with. The action sequences were decent. Uh, it wasn't that, it was definitely not exciting character wise. Um, it was almost all white people. It was all, it felt like it Every character was a tall, vaguely, darkly handsome white guy with dark hair. Um, I was like, for God's sake, casting director, like help a sister out and stick a blondie in there. Like throw a girl a bone. <laughs> I couldn't tell anybody apart. Like really. an Alexander Skarsgård. Throw me an Alexander. I mean, throw me, throw me some kind yeah, of Aryan. I, I couldn't tell anyone apart. Um, everyone was good looking and like a halfway decent actor. I believed them on screen, I guess. But I would give Taken... You know, this seems to be a baseline of mine, but 2.5 out of five stars. It was just really average. Again, I watched it while I was bullet journaling and I found that I enjoyed it, even though I was half engaged. So I would recommend that that's how you watch it as well. So I have no idea what to give this. I actually watch this <laughs> give show. it a rating. Give it a rating. <laughs> I'm going to give this show two out of five stars. <laughs> I don't like action. I don't that's, like... That's a good... That's actually a good rating for it. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, those are the three shows we watched this week. Sorry. We will be more attentive next week. All right, let's plug our socials. So, really quick, so many thanks to Jane, the producer, Matt Young. He wasn't as vocal this week as I would have liked, but we'll work on that next week. When he was very he distracted. <laughs> but his, there was lots of phone world going on. There was his, not enough Apple. <laughs> his Instagram is at Twin Kids Music. Um, you can email us at pilotriotpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Pilot Riot Pod. Last week, we said that we were not going to be doing Twitter because we were millennials, but we are doing Twitter Fuck and it. we love Twitter. Yeah. So I'm, we're, yeah, no, we were yes, idiots Twitter. and now we're smart. Yeah. I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We're on Twitter. Um, so my, if you want to, if you <laughs> still remember the story that I told at the beginning of the episode about the bio glitz, you can check out that photo that I ended up having to moderate. It's, it's a good one. It's I can good objectively photo. say I look, that. I actually look pretty good in that photo. Um, <laughs> my personal Instagram is at Peter Hums, like Hums. <laughs> S. Yes. And I am at Mad Palmen, M-A-D-P-A-U-M-E-N. Um, so Peter, I want to cheers you really quick. Cheers our Chardonnays to a great yeah. third episode. A really good vintage. Clink this and year. to you, Jane, the producer. Clink, clink. 
Yes. And to you, dear listener, I wish we could clink glasses with you. Thank you for joining us. All right. Good night. Love you. Thank you. you. Listen to us next week. Bye. Follow me on Instagram. (laughs) 